Hey, thanks so much for checking out Crossview Church Sermons and listening to this podcast. Every week you can expect a message that strengthens your faith and encourages you in your walk with God. You're about to hear a message from our lead pastor, Chris Dirksen. Sort of a four-part series on Ecclesiastes, and uh, the wisdom of Ecclesiastes is deep. And last week, we looked at chapters one and two, and we looked at this, you know, Ecclesiastes has this big theme of meaningless, at least that's what it's translated in English, but it comes from the Hebrew, which is havel, which just means vapor or mist, it's temporary, it's easily disturbed and blown away. And uh, today I want to dive into the deep wisdom of chapter 3, and I want to read you the first eight verses, and then we're going to dive into it. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. By the way, I just have to stop here for just a moment. Lots of these things we read in English, and we have absolutely no clue what these things meant in the original. In that one there, scattering stones is most likely a sexual reference, and just in case you wanted to know that. So anyway, now you do. Ecclesiastes has all kinds of hidden little gems in it. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Now if we go back to verse 1 of Ecclesiastes 3, I want to sit on one of the words in there, it says this, there's a time for everything and a season, a season for every activity under the heavens. Now there is some really deep wisdom here from Ecclesiastes for our lives. But life runs in seasons. Life is not static, you can't freeze it, you can't put it on pause, it moves through seasons constantly. You can't freeze it in time. Now, we know this, right, as parents. There's moments in life, you know, where, that we sometimes talk about where I, oh my, you know, where your kids are in a very cute stage or a very cute moment. Sometimes the stage itself isn't cute, right? It's a few seconds. Um, but, and you want to freeze them. Oh, if we could just keep them here. They're so innocent. They're so cute. And, uh, and of course, then there's other stages where you're like, oh, get, oh, move on right? But there's seasons. We wish we could freeze it in time, but we can't. Sometimes people, I wouldn't say elderly, but maybe who are less young, look back on their lives and they think, you know, if only I could go back to when I had more energy or I could do more stuff or I was healthier. We wish we could freeze life in a moment in time, but we can't. And Ecclesiastes captures that here in chapter three. The teacher captures this fact of that there's all these aspects to life, and we don't like all the aspects, but there's a time for being born, there's a time for dying, but life runs in seasons. There's a lot of agricultural pictures uh, that the Bible uses and that Ecclesiastes also uses, 
But I think of like, and again, I, I'm always going a little bit out of my depth. I know the farmers here in this room, uh, you know, I, I don't really know a lot about farming at all. But, but uh, this whole idea of seasons, you know, you, if a farmer would go and look at their season, you take a snapshot of a field at different times of the year. It's the same field. But if you look at that field in winter, it's barren, it's cold, it's frozen. Maybe there's some white stuff on the ground. A few months later, you can look at that same piece of land, it's mucky and it's wet. You look at that same piece of land, it's that same field a couple months later, and now you have, you know, whatever crops you're growing in there, you've got growth, you've got plants growing. It's the same field, but depending when you look at it, it looks radically different and it is radically different. Now imagine if a farmer went out there in winter and felt self-conscious and guilty and it just goes out in winter and looks at their barren field and says, well, I just, I'm just a terrible farmer. Look at me, I'm not harvesting, I'm not fruitful. Like a few months ago I was harvesting, but look at what a bad farmer I am. We would think, what kind of a farmer? That's ridiculous. A farmer doesn't harvest continuously because far, that you don't have continuous harvesting. You have seasons of winter, you have seasons of summer, you have seasons of fall, you have seasons of spring. And the same is true of life. Yet how often do we as neurotic Christians take on an, a, an identity of, for ourselves where it's like we look at past times of our life that seem to be full of life and seem to be full of energy and then we feel bad or fruitfulness and we go, well, now I'm in this, but we don't think of it as a season. We just think, well, I must, something must be wrong with me. We feel guilty. But the deep wisdom of Ecclesiastes is, why would you feel guilty over winter season? Winter seasons happen. Life is made up of seasons. Life is made up of times. Times for planting, times for uprooting, times for harvesting, times for resting, times for life, and times even for death. And that brings us to this next uh, verse in verse 2. Oh, by the way, I should just put this up there. We need to let go. And I wanted to put this up on PowerPoint simply because I think for some of us, we just need to let this sink in. Some of us need to let go of the guilt that surrounds dormant, dead-feeling winter seasons. Winter seasons are just actually a fact of life. And you can't even have harvest seasons without winter seasons. I mean, there's just a whole wisdom here that I think in our Western culture, I think in more uh, agrarian, more agricultural societies, I think it was more understood in some of those societies that life will run in seasons. I think in our Western culture, we've lost sight of this and we have some expectation that life should always be on some kind of high energy, high fruitfulness, high productivity plane. And the fact of the matter is, life doesn't work that way. So we need to let go of the guilt when we run into some of these dormant, dead-feeling winter seasons. But let's go into verse 2 now. There's a time for everything. And one of the times that there's a time for is a time to be born and a time to die. Life isn't just about living, it's also about dying. Now, we're going to go, we're going to spend some time in this. Because in this passage, it's not just talking about that one time of your life when you die. There are many things in our lives, even good things, that there will come a season when those things have to die. And there is a time to die. And the fact of the matter is that death doesn't just come about because God's mad. 
Death doesn't just come about because of sin. Yes, overall the world is broken and that's why there's death and someday Jesus is going to come back and set up his kingdom on earth and then we're going to have eternal life and that's all really wonderful. But the fact of the matter is, did you know that the Bible doesn't always talk about death in negative ways? The fact of the matter is, and that's some of the deep wisdom of Ecclesiastes, is that in this broken world, death in some cases and in some senses is actually a good thing. And I want to show you this in Isaiah chapter 57 is one place where the Bible actually talks about death as a gift, at least within this broken world. It says this, the righteous perish and no one takes it to heart. The devout are taken away and no one understands that the righteous are taken away to what? To be spared from evil. Oh, that's on the next one. Can you go to the next uh, slide? The righteous perish and no one takes it to heart and no one understands. The righteous are taken away to be spared from evil. Those who walk uprightly enter into peace. They find rest as they lie in death. So there's actually a sense in this broken world that death is a rest. That when, when things die, there's this escape from pain. There's this escape from suffering. And there's peace. So yes, ultimately Jesus is going to defeat death. But in this broken world, the fact that things end is actually a good thing. It's actually a gift. And that's an important concept for us to understand because we as Christians need to have a deeper theology of suffering and mess. I don't think as Christians here in the West that we do a very good job of having a theology of suffering and mess. I think that many of us have this idea that if God is in something, it's always harvest time. It's always abundant, it's always full of life, it's always green, it's always... But the fact of the matter is, is that God is in winter just as much as he is in harvest. And all of them, Ecclesiastes tells us, have their time in the cycle of our lives here. And if we continue reading verse 2 and verse 3, it says this, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. And I want you to notice all the words there that we don't associate with positive. They're not positive words. Like we get as Christians, yeah, time to be born. We get that. We, we love the starting of things. We can see God in the starting of things. We can see God in the harvest of things. But there's also time to die. And then he goes on the next one. There's a time to plant. And as Christians, we get that too. There's a time to, to have things planted and there's going to be life. But then he also says there's also time to uproot. That's not even just harvesting. That's actually pulling the plant out of the ground and killing it. And he says there's a time to kill and a time to heal and a time to tear down and a time to build. So not just, and again, as Christians, we get it. Time to build, that's exciting. Let's build something. Let's make something. God must be in that. But there's also a time to tear down. That's all part of the deep wisdom of Ecclesiastes. Now, in one sense, we get that, right? As Christians, there's one sense in which we get that there's tearing down. And we would say, okay, well, yeah, there's a time to tear down evil things, right? So there's a time to tear down slavery. There's a time to tear down injustice. There's a time to tear down oppression. And yes and amen to all of those things. There's a time for us as Christians to resist uh, evil and oppression and all those things. Yes. But the, the wisdom of Ecclesiastes goes a lot deeper than that because there's actually also a time for good things to die and there's also a time for good things to be torn down. Did you know that? 
I'm a tree guy, so I, I love trees. And this year, uh, I had one of my apple trees in my backyard died. And that was very sad for me, okay? So, and I had to pull this thing out. And it's like, oh, man. But I've seen that, you know, all over. Trees are good things. We love trees. But I've seen trees in town here that are so beautiful. They were like my favorite tree. I, I'm, I'm one of those weird tree guys where I can drive around town and be like, that's like one of my favorite trees. I love that tree, okay? So I get nerdy with trees. And then also I'll go buy one of my favorite trees and it's down. Why? Well, it got too big for the yard, started impeding on the sidewalk or the road or the house or whatever. Sometimes they get diseased, trees get old. Fact of the matter is trees are good things and yet even with trees, there's a time to uproot. There's a time to take them down. Same is true of anything we do here in this earth. Some of you here have started businesses or you're, you're in the midst of starting a business and things maybe are going great. I hope they are. And you're employing people and, 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 you know, people are, you know, helping, you know, and you're providing a service to the community and you're providing for the employees who work for you. And it's so exciting. It's so good. And guess what? Your business someday is going to die. It's true. You're like, dang, I'm out of here. I didn't come to church for this. Yeah, I actually looked up statistics. Did you know that the chances of your business, that wonderful business you started that you're working with that's doing so well, and I hope it is doing well, do you know that the chances of it making it to 100 years old are 0.5%? So pretty much none of you here today, that business you started or you're working for, it's probably not here 100 years from now. In fact, there's a really good chance it's not even here 20 years from now. The, in, in the States, I looked up some statistics because then I just get curious when I'm doing my message prep. I looked up some statistics. They, on the S&P 500, you don't need to know what that is, but it's basically, well, and then I've, I go ahead and I explain what it is. But anyway, it's basically a list of like 500 of the, 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 the biggest companies, you know, most successful companies in the United States. The average age of the 500 companies on the S&P 500 list last year was 20 years old. That's the average age. And most of them are gone. Very few companies make it past 20 years old. So you say, why do I bring that up? Why? Because that is, and Ecclesiastes says, that's what happens. Those businesses are good things, but they come and they go. They die. They plant. They harvest. Stuff happens. And then they die. And maybe your business will make it, and you can pass it on to your kids. And then maybe it'll die. That happens a lot. <laughs> right? Actually, Ecclesiastes talks about that too. It talks about, and then you hand over your wealth to someone else and you just watch it go. <laughs> or maybe you're one of those rare, rare, rare people where you hand it off to your kids and they actually do well with it. Great. But who goodness knows what will happen and different things, but it's going to be gone. But you know what? It's not just business. Did you know this is also true of ministry in every move of God that God has ever moved, do you know that they all end? If you've studied church history at all, church history is a story that in the last 2,000 years, you can go to any country on earth, and the gospel has now reached all the political countries. It hasn't reached every ethnic group, but you can go to any political country in the world right now on a map, and you can investigate the history of Christianity in that country, and you will find in some of those countries the stories of hundreds of different moves of God and different movements of God and different ministries and things that have happened. And guess what? All of them, many of them, there's all these stories of great things God did, and none of them lasts. 
For example, and there's some famous ones we always talk about, but this is the reason I know that we as Christians don't have a very good theology of mess and death because we talk about startings, but we don't talk about endings. So how about this one? How many, I won't ask for a share of hands, but I've grown up in church. I spent my whole life in church and I love it. I'm, I love that. I've been blessed with that story. But I've heard talk of the Moravian prayer movement. Okay, and many of you have heard about the Moravian Prayer Movement. The Moravian Prayer Movement was an incredible prayer movement. In 1727, the town of Hernhut, I'm totally saying it wrong, but in what is today present-day Germany, this town started a prayer meeting where they handed it off hour after hour after hour. It was a 24-7 prayer meeting that lasted. They started it in 1727, and it lasted 100 years. And during that time, this tiny little town of Hernhut also sent out over 300 missionaries. It was an incredible move of God. And by the way, if you Google it after this service or even during this service, as some of you will, if you Google the Moravian Prayer Movement, you will find scads of articles. Many books have been written. Many articles. You will find hundreds of hits on the internet about the Moravian Prayer Movement. And you will find out, you will see the date, 1727. And you will see the number 100 years. And you will see the 300 and some missionaries that they sent out. You will find out all kinds of information. And you know what information you will not be able to find? How it ended. See, and that's where my brain, I'm just a problem. Because I'm always curious about, well, what happened to it? And you, you can't find it. You can find how it started and everybody celebrates all the stuff it did, but nobody talks about how it ended. So then my brain goes to, well, like what happened? They're 100 years in, I'm just imagining Alfred or one of these guys slept past his alarm and missed his hour. This thing's been going for 100 years and the whole town goes into depression. There's no sense even starting it again because we just wrecked it. Or did it just peter out? Did it just peter out slowly? And there was less and less and less volunteers and finally you can't have a 24-hour, 24-7 permanent and it just peters out. Is that what happened? Or did they start fighting? Because that's often what happens. Whatever happened, it's not going today. You can't go, I don't even think Hernhut exists, but if it does, there's no prayer meeting going on there any longer. It's just over. Now, sometimes as Christians, we kind of wring our hands and we go, oh my goodness, what are we doing wrong? What are we doing wrong? How do we keep these things going forever? And the answer is you don't. Is that what the farmer does at harvest? How do I keep this harvest going forever? No, finish the harvest and take a break. How about the Welsh? And I could just go on and on and on and on, but I'm just using some of the, the, the ones that I've grown up on hearing. Another famous, amazing revival was the Welsh revival in the early 1900s. And many of you, if you've been in church all your life, you know about this one too, but there was a guy by the name of Evan Roberts. And as legend would have it, he prayed for 13 years. Now, if that's true, he started praying for revival when he was 13 years old. And so, okay, fine, maybe he did do that. But anyway, all the biographies and the Christian articles say he prayed for 13 years for revival. So awesome. He prayed for revival. And then one day, it actually came. There was an actual revival in Wales, and many of you have heard about it. 
And when I was growing up, I would often hear about it. And 100,000 people in one year in Wales gave their lives to Christ. They say that bars and saloons completely emptied out. They, 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 they went out of business because guys would go in there to have a drink. And they would just fall under the conviction of the Lord. Not necessarily because of the, I don't, you know. That always gets weird when you tell that part of the story, Right? I mean, Jesus, and his, this, you know, Jesus didn't fall under conviction after he turned water into wine. But whatever the case, they were doing bad things in the bars. And they emptied out. They say that actually the police got bored. Literally, there are stories the police got bored. They didn't have enough to do because so many people got saved. And it was awesome. It's Evan Roberts who prayed for 13 years for, for revival. He was a key part of leading this revival. And he was a man of prayer. And they say he was very humble. And da 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 and the, and the revival went on for like a year. And then... And then and, and then it wasn't going anymore. And, and how did it stop? Why did it stop? Did someone do something wrong? Like, like maybe, was there sin in the camp? Was there, like, what, what, did they get proud? Are these the questions we ask of a farmer when he stops the harvest? Hey, did you get proud? Hey, did you get sinful? You stopped harvesting. No, you stopped, it's, it's over that's what Ecclesiastes tells us. Everything. There's a time to plant, and there's a time to uproot. There's a time to be born, and there's a time to die, and that includes even moves of God. Now, the interesting thing is, if you read further than what most biographies will take you, Evan Roberts was a really interesting guy, and I can hardly wait to meet him someday in Jesus' kingdom. But after the revival ended, he went into a deep depression. Very deep depression. And you want to know why? Because he thought he had done something wrong. He didn't know why God would stop a revival. And he literally went into a deep depression. And there's some other kind of funky things that happened in his life. And it turns out he was actually just a pretty normal guy. And I actually love that. I'm sad that he had to go through a deep depression. I'm sad that he had to get disillusioned. But the fact of the matter is, this is exactly what Ecclesiastes tells us. This is how things work. God's not just in the beginnings. God's just not just in the explosions. God's also in the winter. God's also in the dying. That's all part of how this world works. That's what the teacher tells us in Ecclesiastes. And we Christians need to learn a new skill, a skill that's predicated on a much deeper theology of mess. That God's not just in the clean and the neat, but God's also sometimes in the ugliness and the dying. And as Christians, we need to learn a new skill perhaps, and that is not just how to to celebrate beginnings, but also how to celebrate endings. Verse 6 of Ecclesiastes 3 says this, a time to search and a time to give up. I bet you... Most of us, I've grown up in church all my life, have not heard a sermon about there's a time to give up. That's a real, that's a barn burner right there. Um, Next week, I'm going to talk about prayer because Ecclesiastes also talks about prayer. And let me tell you, the writer of Ecclesiastes' book on prayer is not a bestseller. It just isn't. But how many of you know that actual wisdom, God-inspired wisdom in Ecclesiastes says, is you know that real wisdom, God-inspired wisdom, tells us that there's actually a time in your prayer life, there's a time in your life to actually give up and just accept that things are the way they are 
Stop trying to change your circumstances because actually there comes a time when you're praying for something to change has become unhealthy. And now the wisdom of the Holy Spirit from Ecclesiastes said, actually now it's time to stop praying for whatever it is that you've been begging God to change or heal or whatever for year after year after year. And he's actually saying, I'm not going to change the circumstance, but do you want to be changed in that circumstance? Because that'll do. It's actually a time, do you know, I think some of the most powerful prayers are the prayers of when we just learn to accept. God, give me the strength to accept. And this is just how things are. And then to embrace that and move on can be a very beautiful thing and a very godly thing. Kids, this is for you too because I know we have a bunch of kids in here. Not as much as we had 40 minutes ago. Kids, this is for you too. I think of my kids. They were in the first service so I can refer to them now. In the four o'clock, I just have to kind of not look over there. But kids, this is for you too. You know, there's times that friendship you really liked or that teacher you really liked and then those things end and it's super disappointing. And guess what? That is part of life. And unfortunately, if we don't learn to live with that as kids, we often don't pick it up as adults either. So I'd like to finish this message by using an, an analogy, and I want to start by saying what your life is not. Your life is not like driving a car. I think a lot of us have a driving a car analogy in the back of our heads when we think of our lives. We think, I'm in control of my life. I'm driving the car of my life. I'm going from point A to point B. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with setting goals. I'm not talking about it's bad to set goals. But what I'm saying is we have this idea that we're in control of our lives. I'm going to drive from here and we get to there. I'm going to take my life from here and I'm going to end up over there. And guess what? You don't have control over your life. And there is almost no more freeing truth than that. So let me ask you some questions. You say, yeah, but I like to set goals. Well, goals are great. But let's think for a moment about all the things in your life you can't control. Let's start with something easy. Can you control the weather? And the answer is no. Can you control, I mean, how many of you, could, you know, want, you planned and you made the pandemic happen? Right? That was in my plans, right? Like I was, yeah, I had this goal. I'm going to go from here to there. And as part of that, I want a worldwide pandemic to happen. And I'm going to do this, this, and this, and that's when it's going to happen. That didn't happen. How many of you can control what the government does during this pandemic that you controlled to make it happen? You and know, I don't have control over our lives. Those of you who are married couples, you know what you can, well, <laughs> we can just stop right there. <laughs> How much success have you had controlling your spouse? Guys, ladies, how's that working out for you? You decide to have kids. Okay, you're in control of what part of that? The trying. That's fun. But you're not even in control of can you have kids, right? Some couples can, some couples can. For those who can have kids, can you control what kind of kids you get? You know, our first one, I was convinced, word from the Lord. I was convinced our first one was going to be a boy and we were going to name him Caleb. And I was just convinced because 
I just knew, right? And I had it planned. And I'll never forget in the hospital, five in the morning, an exhausting night of work. <laughs> I remember thinking, literally like two or three hours into this, thinking, I don't think I can handle much longer of this. <laughs> All right. Because we guys are the tough ones. But anyway... I'll never forget, as little Caleb was coming out, and literally, I'm not exaggerating, I'm not lying to you, that the first thing I thought when little Caleb came out was, he's missing something. <laughs> he's got an innie in there. I'm not talking about the belly, right? Like, what's that? what happened? <laughs> and of course, then we had joy, and I'm so glad we had a joy. Better than, and Caleb was in the last service, better than any Caleb could be, but anyway, but, so we had a joy, and that's awesome, but you can't even control what kind of kids you can get, and you can't control how that kid turns out. Very little in your life is in your control. Here's what you can control. You can control your actions, but you can't control your life. You can control your choices, but we don't have control over where life goes. So your life is not like driving a car where you can just turn and take it wherever you want. You do have say in that. And so I want to bring out another prop. Now, don't get your hopes up. This is two weeks in a row, and I am not going to... I'm, I'm out of props after this, okay? So last week I played the piano, and I had hundreds of requests during the week. Please, Chris, would you join a worship team and play more piano for us? But I have a different prop for you today. I'm just going to turn off my mic so it doesn't give feedback. It didn't give feedback, so I'm not going to turn off my mic. Don't leave. I'll be right there. Now. Oh, no. Was that Elijah Thiessen? <laughs> so, uh, but I, this is Caleb's snowboard, and I want you to pretend it's a surfboard. Nobody in Steinbeck is a surfboard, okay? So this is not a snowboard, it's a surfboard. Okay? Now, here's what I know. Life is not... Your life is not like a car that you can drive it wherever you want. I think life, and if we take Ecclesiastes and we pull it into the modern age a little bit and pick a sport, I think life is a lot more like surfing, not that I know much about surfing, but here's what I know about surfing, which is very, very little, is when you're on a surfboard and you catch a wave, there's things you can do on that wave, but you can't make, first of all, you can't make that wave go wherever you want it to go. Like ultimately that wave has a direction and you're just on it. I can't go, oh, wave, I, I want to go over there. If the wave is going this way, you have some choices on that wave, depending on your skill. You can do various things and go different places on that wave, but you are constrained by where that wave is going. Too many people in life think they're on a car. They're on a wave going like this, but they don't like where the wave's going and they keep trying. We're going to go this way. You will stress yourself out. And some people spiritualize that, so they take it to prayer. They're on this wave that is going this way, but they think God's will, or at least their will to be God's will, is they need to be over there. They need this miracle. They need that thing to change. And they pray and they pray and they pray to be over there, but the wave's not going there. But they think that what they're doing is healthy because they're taking it to God in prayer. And God says, that's not the wave you're on. There is a deep Ecclesiastes, Spirit of God, wisdom, 
in learning to go with the wave that God has given you. And now on that wave, you have some choices and you can make movements and you're responsible for how you live on that wave. But you're just on that wave. Now here's the other thing I know about waves. Every wave ends. Every wave ends. Now imagine you, you were watching someone surfing and they're surfing this wave and it comes to an end. And what happens if the surfer doesn't accept that the wave has ended? Does that go good? Waves don't end. I serve a wonderful God who died on the cross for me. He wants the wave to go forever. No, he doesn't. And so now you have this surfer hopping up and down on the board. Wave! Maybe they get into the water and they splash, try and get a wave going. People do this in life, though. It's ridiculous when you think of it in terms of surfing. But we try to create our own wave. Imagine if that surfer standing there waist deep, mourning this wave that was done. What's, what are you doing? Why don't you get out there and surf another wave? I'm disillusioned. Why are you disillusioned? Because that was a great wave. Huh? You didn't know that that wave was going to end? What does a surfer do? Surfer surfs that wave as long as they can. You splash down as gracefully as you can. And then what do you do? You swim out and you catch another wave. This is Ecclesiastes. There is a time for everything under the sun. Not just beginnings, not just harvestings, also winters and also endings. Now, I was going to just close right there in prayer. I gave these sermon notes to my wife early this morning. And she's like, you can't end the sermon there. You haven't given us something practical. So I said, well, what do you have in mind? She says, well, I have the four R's. So she's going to finish this message for me. She has practical. How do we do this? My lovely wife. Thank you. Yes, so I read your message, and uh, I think the beautiful thing that stuck out to me was how knowing this, too, helps us have grace for other people around us. Um, we can have grace for ourselves when we're going through tough times, but also for other people, right? So often we're quick to judge. Well, if they would just do this, if they would just do that. Meanwhile, we can recognize they actually have their own wave, their own path that they're on, and we can actually just come around them rather than trying to control their own life for them. But anyway, yes, so I'm very practical, and I read the message, and I said, well, what do I do with this? How do we make sure that our endings are well? And I think that if we can do that, it speaks to your previous uh, message series, which was the 92, right? We want to be that testimony for others around us. So if we can do this well, uh, we can actually... Um, impact uh, people that are, are watching us. And so, yeah, as I was thinking about different hard things that I've been through, um, what did I do to uh, get through them or to rise above? And so, yeah, kind of these four R's came to mind. And the first one was rest. And this is a principle we talk about in Christian circles, and that's the idea of a Sabbath, right? But the secular world talks about it too. It's important for our brains and for our bodies. We need to have those regular times of rest, whether it be that Sabbath rest for you, whether it's taking an hour a day or 30 minutes or 15 minutes, whatever you can do in a day just to be still for a bit. 
get or extended holidays um, where you just get to get away from the regular hamster wheel of life because when you're on that, you're, you're not even recognizing, am I in overwhelm? Has this wave actually finished? Do I need to stop and start again? It's just getting that healthy perspective on your life by stopping and actually resting and then in that, when you've realized that, you know, maybe there is an ending here, maybe I'm in an ending or I'm in overwhelm, it's taking time to remember, remember, you know, what was good about what happened, what was good about God in that moment, um, you know, how did I overcome or what did God do for me? And, and then also relationships. Relationships are huge when you're in an ending. Um, you talked about the importance of having relationships last week, cultivating those relationships in the good times so that in the hard times, they're there around you, supporting you, helping you get through it. I think of mentors, people in your life who have gone before, you know, they've, they've gone through some tough stuff and they can come alongside you and say, it's going to be okay. You're going to get through this and you're going to actually be stronger in the end. And to have those people around you to say that is really helpful. And then you put that on repeat repeat, repeat, because when you're going through something, uh, it's never over in a day, unless it's just a simple thing. But the big things, it takes a while to actually sit in them, to learn what you need to learn and to move on. And so you repeat that cycle, rest, remember, have relationships around you and keep doing that until you can say, okay, I'm good. I'm I found the new wave. And so that's what uh, kind of came to mind as I was reading through your message. And you guys can give that a try. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast today and being part of what God is doing here at Crossview. A special thanks to those that are giving generously to this ministry. It's because of you this ministry is possible. If you enjoyed the sermon, why don't you subscribe to the platform you're listening to right now and let us know that you're listening by sharing and tagging us on social media. If you want to learn more about this ministry in our church, you can visit us at crossviewchurch.ca.